No, thank you, Matthew. Well, we uh, continue our study this afternoon looking at the fruit of the Spirit or continuing to look at the fruit of the Spirit. And, and again, the passage of Scripture that's been anchoring the series, you know it, I'm hopefully even off by heart, is Galatians 5, 21 to 22. That, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you ever want a pastor to feel like a hypocrite, all you need to do is ask him to stand up in front of the congregation and to preach on the fruit of the Spirit. Because there's a sense in which that the closer that we look at all these qualities, the more we begin to have our deficiencies exposed. And I've felt that, and I'm sure some of you, as we've looked at these topics, has as well. But that's particularly evident today as we, as we consider the subject of faithfulness. Um, because sometimes we're just not. I think I told someone yesterday I'd call them back. And I think I sent them a text message today and I kind of got back to them. And so we fall short in so many different ways. But we, we box on in spite of our deficiencies because uh, this is the word of God. And so we continue to lift it high, not myself or whoever stands in this pulpit. Uh, knowing that God is at work in us to make us more like himself, to be more faithful. And I trust as we, we look at God's word that, that you might leave here thinking, or praying even, Lord, help me to be more faithful. That would be the, the goal of, of everything this afternoon, that we would at least desire to be more faithful, that there'd be something in the work of the Spirit through his word that would that would cause some change in our life as we think about faithfulness. But as I've mentioned in previous weeks, and I hope not to bore you, but as we look at these fruit of the Spirit, they're firstly virtues or attributes of God. They're then displayed to us in their highest expression in the person and work of Christ. Uh, we then experience or taste of the faithfulness of God expressed towards us in the gospel before the Spirit of God then gives us or he works in us these same Christ-like qualities or godliness. And so we'll continue with that same pattern and outline today. So firstly, we, we turn our minds to thinking of the faithfulness of God, and we see that God himself is faithful. And so faithfulness is one of his perfections. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, if I can make the point really quickly, it simply says God is faithful. God is faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. And, and again, we'll, we have what, one, one word out of Galatians 5 to teach on faithfulness. And we'll, we'll look at many different scriptures. So don't, don't um, scurry around trying to find them all. There'll be, there'll be a number rapid fire. But Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. And so the Bible even describes God as if he were clothed with faithfulness. And Psalm 89 verse 8 says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, your, uh, with your faithfulness all around you. It's like he's just surrounded or clothed in faithfulness. And when we look, at, look to the scriptures, we also see that the faithfulness of God, as with all of his attributes, it's a praiseworthy quality. It's something that, that inspires or elicits our worship. Um, so it means that when we think of God's faithfulness, if we're understanding it rightly, 
we feel the urge to bow down and worship God. That's when we know that we've understood something of the faithfulness of God. It's a praiseworthy attribute. Psalm 89, that same psalm, uh, verse 5, it says, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. And then it says, Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. It was Arthur Pink who, who Matt just quoted uh, a minute ago. Arthur Pink also said this, Far above all finite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. He never forgets, never fails, never falters, never forfeits his word. To every declaration of promise or prophecy, the Lord has exactly adhered. Every engagement of covenant or threatening, he will make good. And then, and then he goes on and he quotes Numbers 23 verse 19, which says, For God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And so when we think of God, we marvel in the fact that he has never let anyone down. He's never been unfaithful. And so I love those um, passages of Scripture that say, everyone who trusts in the Lord will not be put to shame, or, or everyone who trusts in the Lord will not be disappointed, because when we put our trust in him, we're never disappointed, we're never let down. He's never unfaithful to what he promises to us. He's always kept his word, he always performs his promises, he always finishes what he starts, and he's started to sanctify us he always delivers he never lets down he never forgets he never gives up he never fails he is never distracted and he never deserts and if we have a relationship to god much like a, a marriage uh, that's undergirded by a covenant a marriage covenant then we have a relationship to god in which he has made obligations to his people where no matter what happens and no matter how dark it seems, he will never leave us or forsake us utterly and he'll even work all difficult situations for our good. Uh, when we think of ourselves as members of the new covenant, we are covenant people, we're members of the new covenant and we can think of God as bound to us by way of a contract, just like an employment agreement binds the two parties together, we are bound to God by more than just an abstract relationship, but by a covenantal, or you could think in terms of a contractual arrangement, and God, will, he will always do what he's promised to do in that covenant. So when we combine the, the goodness of God's character with his immutability or, or the fact that he doesn't change, we get something close to faithfulness. It's, a, it's like his goodness and the fact that it never changes, always being expressed, always faithfully doing the right thing. I guess you mix in there his wisdom. He's always doing the right thing. Uh, but in Galatians 5, the, the Greek word for faithfulness is pistis, which can mean several things. So first it can refer to uh, faith as the content of the Christian religion. So in Jude 1 verse 3, it speaks of, I'm sure you know the verse, the faith like the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. So it's the content of the Christian message. 
most often, however, pistis refers to faith in the sense of our belief in Christ and the gospel. So we believe, we, we have faith, or we have trusted in Christ. But as one commentator said, an aspect of, uh, as, sorry, as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, pistis has yet a further meaning, which is faithfulness. Faithfulness, fidelity. That is the quality of being true, trustworthy, and reliable in all of one's dealings with others. So we are faithful. So we have faith in the faithful God, but we're also to be like that too. And, and people should be able to trust or have confidence in us. And so obviously not in a saving way, but in relation to our character. People should be able to trust in us, rely on us, and depend upon us because we, we exemplify something of that faithfulness of God. But if you can allow me to take a, a detour or an excursus for a minute and turn with me to the book of Lamentations. So that's, I think it's after the book of Jeremiah. Book of Lamentations. And we can see something of how God's people make use of faithfulness. So it's, it's a, when we believe it, when we understand it about God, it's something we can use in the Christian life. And you'll remember Israel had been taken captive by uh, Babylon. 1 verse 3, if you have a look at that there, it says, Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells in, so you remember this is a lament, this is lamentations. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. Uh, 1 verse 5 says, Her adversaries have become her masters, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has caused her grief. Don't forget that. The God is in control of everything that's going on. The Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions, and so the people have sinned. If you look at 1 verse 12, is it nothing to all you who pass this way? Look and see if there's any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones and it, prevail and he and it prevailed over them. He has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint all day long. Uh, verse 14 says, The yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against who I am not able to stand. If you turn over to chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Her gates have sunk into the ground. This is Jerusalem. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Let that sink in. The law is no more. Uh, also, her prophets find no vision from the Lord. That's a horrible position for God's people to be in. Verse 10, the elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. And if you look at chapter 2, verse 20, it's the most miserable situation I think we can find in Scripture. With whom have you dealt thus? Should woman eat their offspring? 
That's how, that's how horrible this situation was for these people. The little ones who were born healthy, should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground in the streets lie young and old. Uh, my virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered and not sparing. And I think you could appreciate that the people living through this, God's people living through this, are perplexed, they're troubled, they're questioning. They're, this is a strange providence to live through. They'd be, they'd be filled with questions, filled with doubts. Uh, and I think sometimes in much smaller ways we can, we can parallel that confusion. 3 verse 15 says, He's filled me with bitterness. He's made me drink with wormwood. Uh, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Can't even remember what it was like to be happy. Uh, verse 18, so I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. This is a most despairing lament, a confusing time. Uh, and sometimes life is more complex than just happiness and plain sailing. Sometimes we walk through extremely difficult things and suffering and trials come about, even as we see here, even under the providence of God, even at times for God's people. But it's in these times that we can see a, a, a little lesson in how the faithfulness of God is used, because you'll know the, the famous passage in this whole chapter if you look at chapter 3, verse 21, and Jeremiah, he doesn't say, now, now this I begin to feel. Now this, this I, I feel myself warming up and changing uh, how I feel. Jeremiah says, this I recall to mind. He, he's, he doesn't feel this way, but he makes himself know something true of God. He says this, he's like, intentionally putting the right thing and truth into his mind despite uh, the way that he feels. He says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. <coughs> Excuse me, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And then it says, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. That's what he brings to mind. That's what he puts in his head and his thinking in, in the most horrible of situations. And I'll probably leave it there. I think that gives you a, just a, a sense of how it is that we can, we can begin to use that truth because it's an incredible truth. It's a praiseworthy truth. We serve a faithful God through good times and through bad. But the next thing we do, if we're to jump back on track, is to consider how it is that Jesus is faithful and so when we think of god the son not the father not the spirit but the person of god the son coming into our world adding to himself a human flesh so he's becoming incarnate the word word of god tells us through isaiah the prophet in chapter 11 that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of jesse so you imagine a cut down tree with a with a little shoot growing out of it a branch uh, from his roots and it says it shall bear fruit and I think that's neat because that speaks of Christ and it speaks of him bearing fruit which is what we can't do 
apart from the work of the Spirit of God. So, so Jesus, this Messiah, will come and he shall bear fruit. Uh, in, the, in the fifth verse there it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so we see here that Jesus too, the Bible describes him as being clothed with faithfulness. And it was uh, Charles Spurgeon, he once preached a, a message on John chapter 13, verse 1. In that text, John chapter 13, it says this, Having loved his own which were in the world, and he's speaking of the disciples, but it applies to us as it goes further, but having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. That's faithfulness. He loved them all the way. He loved them unto the end. And so his sermon was titled, The Faithfulness of Jesus. And he described Jesus' faithfulness like this. He said, the, the love of Christ is more than a passion. So this is a theological term, more than a passion. You and I are moved by passion, but the Son of God is not so. As a man he may be, but as God, so he's speaking in terms of his divine nature, but as God, he has no passion. Hence, the love of Christ towards his people is a settled principle, self-created and self-sustained, not subject to changes like terrestrial things, but firm and stable, built on a rock. That love, says Spurgeon, cannot be destroyed because the source from which it comes is eternal. And so thinking of that divine nature, that's exactly what, it, what, uh, what binds this character of faithfulness into God and into the person of Christ. And he considered the love of Jesus towards his disciples, and he said this, they were fools and slow of heart to understand. You remember all the times Jesus said things and they, they didn't pick it up. Uh, even though, again, he plainly told them of his uh, decease. He, he told them he's going to die, and he's told them he's going to rise three times, but it's like it went in one ear, out the other. They just wouldn't pick it up. So though he plainly told them things like that, when he set his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem, humanly speaking, he needed friends to have aided and abetted him in his high resolve. So it would have been nice to have some encouragement along the way, but he found no help in them. When in that dark, that dreadful night, he bowed in prayer and sweat the bloody sweat, he went backward and forward thrice, that's three times, as if seeking a little sympathy from men so dearly loved, but he had to complain of them, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Still, having loved them, neither their worldliness, nor their stupidity, nor their want of sympathy with him, Still, all of those things could uh, prevent him from loving them unto the end. And so as I read that, I thought, that's so true because we are so weak. We are just like them. Uh, imagine how many times we've tried to pray and we've fallen asleep. Like we're just, we're just weak. Our, our desires are so messed up. We're so distracted. We're, we're, we're hardly, I could just imagine ourselves failing in those same, in those same ways as the disciples but in spite of our constant failings, Jesus remains faithful to us. It's hard for us to remain faithful to people that are not delivering on the things they need to do. But Jesus is. And that, that's only a drop in the bucket of his faithfulness, if I could describe it. But Spurgeon went on and he said, all the disciples forsook him and fled. Do you remember that? All of them. 
when he, when he was taken, when, they, when the, they took him to be arrested, all the dis- disciples scattered. Uh, when not even the loving John remained constant to his master in the hour of betrayal, when one, the boldest of them, so you remember Peter, with oaths and cursing, said, I do not know him. Do you remember that? He said, I'll follow you unto death. And he denies him. He says he doesn't know him. And he was cursing and swearing, making a, a fool of himself, carrying the text beyond its original position. We may say that over the head of all our infirmities, ignorances, selfishness, desertions and denials, Jesus Christ, who had loved his own that were in the world, loved them to the end. His love for them never stopped. His love for them uh, never failed. Spurgeon goes on, it was not possible for them with all their follies, failings, and sins to break through the magic circle of his affection he had hedged them in once for all had bound them to himself with bonds firmer than brass and stronger than triple steel and neither could the temptations of hell nor the suggestions of their own corruptions tear them from his heart the attachments of jesus were abiding fickleness and instability could never be charged on him. Others for a little while, uh, uh, sorry, others love for a little while and then grow cold. They profess eternal attachment and yet forsake. Listen to this one. They admire and esteem us till a slight misunderstanding snaps the very bond of friendship. But our Lord was the mirror of constancy, the pattern of fidelity, the paragon of unchanging love. As Jonathan claimed to David, Spurgeon finishes and he says, even so did Jesus cleave to his people. Isn't that an incredible faithfulness that that our Lord shows (laughs) to the disciples and the same thing to us? And so I hope you can see that, that even in spite of ourselves, Jesus is faithful to his people. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and it's quoted from the Old Testament and repeatedly through Scripture, it reminds us that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. Or we could maybe make up a Charles Haddon Spurgeon translation, and he says, notwithstanding their persistent or habitual stupidity, his love was stronger than their unbelief and ignorance. And so when we're thinking rightly about ourselves and we we let our pride down for a moment, it tastes really good, doesn't it, to experience and to know of Jesus' faithfulness towards us. Every word He has spoken to us in the gospel. Every promise he has made, he's either fulfilled it or he certainly will fulfill it. Uh, When Jesus says, come to me all who labor and and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, he either has given you rest or he will give you rest if you come to him. When he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls, Your souls will rest. When he says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Your sins shall be washed clean or your sins have been washed clean. And when he explains 
how much it will cost you for his favor. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. That's the waters from this morning. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's how much he charges us. And he, he never charges us a cent. And so we see that, that God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. We, we see that we experience his faithfulness as he honors every word and every promise of the gospel. And he remains faithful to us as he's changing us. He's faithful to change us in spite of all of our failings. And so we, we come to this passage in, in Galatians 5, this exhortation to be faithful flooded with expressions and examples of faithfulness from God to ourselves. And so we have more than enough to share a little bit, as I've been saying, of this with other people, don't we? We've been shown so much. Surely we can give a few scraps of faithfulness out to people that we bump into or people that we go to church with. And so cultivating faithfulness in every aspect of our lives is what we're exhorted to do in Galatians 5. And so this is another aspect of the spirit-filled life. We might not have gold dust falling from the ceilings. I think in some churches years ago, they even got gold fillings and all sorts of amazing spirit-filled things. But we might not have those sorts of things, but... This is what the Spirit produces truly in regenerate people and Spirit-filled believers. When we say things like, I'll call you back, we do it. That's simple. When we say, uh, we'd love to have you around for lunch, then we make an arrangement to do so. <laughs> we fall down so, so quickly, don't we? When we say, I take you to be my husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, <coughs> excuse me, in sickness or health, for richer, for poorer, uh, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And hitherto I pledge to you my faithfulness. Then we remain faithful to those promises. We, when we have obligations, sometimes we're not sitting above everybody around us. Sometimes we sit below we might be a student. We might be an employee. We sit below people in all sorts of different situations. So when we have obligations, we meet them in every aspect of our lives, at work, at home, in church. And so to be faithful means that we can be relied upon, that people can put their trust in us. We arrive on time. We get our work done. We do our work well. We work diligently. We meet deadlines. And we don't let people down. And so to be faithful isn't just to do those once. We do them on repeat. We keep doing things faithfully. And so that there's a constantness to our character to be faithful and to be perpetually faithful. Uh, uh, what use is someone that was once faithful or occasionally faithful? There, there's an element of an ongoingness about it that, that's critical as well. And so 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, it says, It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. In 1 Corinthians 4 uh, verse 17, 
It says, Paul sent Timothy because he was his, and it says, his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. In Colossians 1 verse 7, Epaphras is commended as a faithful servant of Christ Jesus. In that same letter, Tychicus is commended as a faithful servant. And Onesimus is a faithful and beloved brother. It's just repeated. There's, there's a certain faithfulness about these people God is using. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, the Apostle Paul himself linked his faithfulness in conjunction to his own usefulness to God. And he says, this is 1 Timothy 1 12, because he considered me what? Faithful, putting me into service. He wasn't saved because he was faithful, but there's an element where these things are mixed. God is using faithful people. He's causing us to be faithful uh, in order to do the work he needs us to do. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, uh, we can look at what type of men are to be selected for God's work. And it says, the things which you have heard from me, Entrust these to successful men. Or entrust these to skilled men. Entrust these to smart men. It's not, is it? It's, it's entrust these to faithful men. That's what God is looking for. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 11, it says, Woman must likewise be faithful in all things. And so it's every believer in every stage of life, men and women, it's everyone is, is faithfulness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's meant to be produced and grown in all of God's people. And perhaps I've overdone my point there. I wanted you to see that this is what the Word of God uh, describes so many people as. But I hope you can see that to be a Christian and to be of use to God, Christians are to be faithful people. And so some people, as I mentioned, can be gifted or skilled or smart. Uh, but Alistair Begg, a, a well-known pastor, he gave an insightful comment. And he said this, at the end of the day, God will reward faithfulness. He said equal gifts will not receive equal rewards. The inequality will be not in terms of the gift but the use that was made of the gift or how faithful we are with what God gives us. That's what God's measuring. He's not measuring if you've got an incredible gift and you use it that much or you're that faithful, it's, it's not of as much value to God as if someone given a simple gift was incredibly faithful. He's looking for faithfulness. And so at the end of our life, we don't want to hear, well done, good and successful servant. But what do we want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's just all through the scriptures. It really has blown my mind as we've just skimmed through the, the word of God to see how much, how pervasive, how useful we can be to God if we would cultivate this, this attitude of faithfulness. It's, it's such a simple thing and and we speak so much, maybe we give less emphasis on faithfulness that we deserve. It's a very simple, humble quality, but God wants his people. He wants you and me to be more faithful. So let's bow our heads and, and pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity. We thank you for the, 
the faithfulness we've seen in you yourself. Lord, we, we thank you for the faithfulness that we've seen something of and remembered in, the, in our Lord Jesus. We, we thank you for the way that he remains faithful to us. Even we, we've come to faith in you and, and we fail you constantly, daily. And so, Lord, we thank you that you still walk with us, that you look past our sin, that you faithfully teach us, you faithfully forgive us, you faithfully strengthen us, you faithfully teach us, you faithfully renew our minds, you're patient with us. Lord, you just love us through to the end. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the way that you deal with us. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people that are filled with your spirit and Lord, would you just apply this word of faithfulness to us in such a way that we would leave here, not the same, but in some small measure, more mindful of what you'd like us to be like, uh, more clear in our thinking of what you are like in terms of your faithfulness. Lord, we pray you'd sanctify us and bless us in the week ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.